If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on Shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat. Hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, everyone. It's Ben. Uh, to conclude this episode, we're going to play some of the callers that I got when I hosted Fox News Talk, also known as Sirius Channel 4. Uh, regarding Donald Trump plan to combat opioid crisis. Uh, I, I think his plan is totally ridiculous, totally awful. But we're going to talk about that in this episode. I think the callers at the end will really shed a lot of interesting light on the issue. Obviously, it's extremely important. And uh, yeah, something we got to keep on talking about as a people. So I think you'll enjoy that. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Hail yourselves. Glad you're doing. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel, joined by Marcus Parks. Hey, Ben. How are you, Marcus? I'm fine. That's good. <laughs> you're looking great. Thank you. Uh, I'm, you got the Invisalign out of your mouth right now because it's a problem. Yeah, it's been causing sores, uh, yeah. so I can't uh, use it for right now. But I'm going to go back in tomorrow, and they're going to see if they can fix right. it. But if it, if it doesn't work out, don't even worry about it. Thank you. Just just don't even... you got beautiful teeth, Marcus. They're, they're and I'm sorry that all of us have given you <laughs> a complex about your teeth. They're gorgeous. Well, they're not beautiful. They work, though. They work. That's all. All that matters. Well, they don't necessarily work since I got two of them missing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. It's good to be a steak that you're eating because there's always a place to hide. <laughs> you can possibly live. Well, speaking of places to hide, uh, the world has gotten a little bit more intense this week. Yep. Uh, we have a lot to get to today. We're going to talk about is Vice President Mike Pence uh, angling for a run in 2020? Yes. There's a Washington Post article that says he's begun the process of looking into it, and you do have individuals like Tom Cotton, a senator, uh, a senator out of Arkansas, Ben Sass, of course, a senator out of Nebraska, and John Kasich, they're all making the rounds. Uh, Kasich in New Hampshire, uh, Ben Sass, and um, Tom Cotton, they both hung out in Iowa. Sort of um, uh, abnormal. Usually yeah. the senators, when a current president is there, specifically of their party, they don't go to campaign places. Mm-hmm. They don't go to places that are vital in a primary. So that's kind of interesting. And of course, there is no love lost between uh, any of those people, specifically John Kasich and Donald Trump. So there is a lot of rumors out there. The, the rumor mills are spinning, and the rumor is that Mike Pence might attempt to run for office, I suppose primary uh, Donald John Trump. Of course, only 27% of the American people, according to a recent poll, believe that Donald Trump will even be there for four years. No. So perhaps Mike Pence is trying to put in uh, a, a an infrastructure in place just in case he actually has to run for, uh, uh, for election. 
option on top of the ticket as opposed to being on the bottom. I think that's more of the case here because there's no way that Mike Pence can come out four years from now and say, I don't support Donald Trump. Right. I don't. I want to run against Donald Trump. It has to just be that they don't expect him to make all four years. Whether And they're be, planning for it. Yeah, yeah, they're absolutely planning for it. At the very least, they're planning for the eventuality of it. Uh, also, big news before we get to North Korea, which I think is the biggest news, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on a right ton. now. So much, way too much. You would have thought the nuclear uh, the nuclear attack already happened or is going to happen <laughs> at 5 p.m. tonight, whatever day you're listening to this, but it is still quite a ways away. Basically, just real quick to wrap that, uh, to, to sort of tease that a little bit, the, uh, the North Koreans uh, were further along in their ability to have a nuclear miniaturized nuclear war uh, weapon, which can then be put onto an ICBM warhead. Of course, we've heard about the ICBM uh, process because, and the progress the North Koreans have made because we get that information via satellite. We mm-hmm. really don't know that much about the uh, Hermit Kingdom because unlike the Trump White House, they don't allow leaks. <laughs> uh, so we weren't really sure how far along they were when it came to their nuclear capabilities. But we have found out now recently, uh, as of this week, that they have uh, mu- they are much closer to potentially creating a miniaturized uh, nuclear weapon that can then, again, go onto an ICBM, uh, travel 5,000 miles, uh, and theoretically hit um, parts of the United States, or at the very least, Guam, which is a Western territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, of, Hawaii of as well. Hawaii. Uh, but we'll get into that a little bit more because it's very difficult uh, to get the, the ascent of an ICBM was one thing. It's the descent when it tries to come back into the atmosphere that is extremely difficult uh, to perfect. So I believe we're being a little bit hyperbolic uh, when it comes to how capable the North Koreans actually are. But we'll talk about that in a second. Also, Paul Manafort, of course, the 2016 campaign manager or one of the three campaign managers for Donald Trump. We just found out that Robert Mueller, the man in charge of the special counsel that are uh, looking into the uh, Dealings with the Russians during the 2016 campaign, specifically the collusion uh, claims uh, that come from uh, the emails that we saw with Donald Trump Jr. and uh, and individuals who are representing Russia. Paul Manafort in those meetings, of course, along with Jared Kushner and others. His home was just raided by the FBI. Yeah, a couple uh, months ago. It's just now late, coming out. Later last month. Yeah. Yeah, late oh, last late, month. Late, so just a couple month. of weeks okay. ago. Okay. Um, and, but they really kept that under wraps. Yeah. Of course, it's very interesting if you go back uh, and check the timeline of Donald Trump's tweets, and who mm-hmm. doesn't love to do that? <laughs> it was the same day he tweeted about the transgender ban. Yeah. And you wonder, was he trying to distract? Because, of course, the military transgender ban, as we've talked about previously on this show, is not law. Uh, no one in the military approved it. It is not going to go into effect. Uh, of course, this sends a horrible uh, precedent and tone, and perhaps it might go into the uh, effect in the future. However, it was just a flippant Twitter storm by Donald Trump out of the blue, out of the ether. And some people are saying perhaps it was uh, to sort of uh, move the argument away from what was happening to Mr. Manafort. Well, it's very possible that he has, he knows exactly what he's doing when he's doing the Twitter distractions. Like, so, yeah, I, think, I mean, what, well, I mean, I how think far? Sometimes, I think he's got, he's kind of like a half and half where like he knows what he's doing sometimes, right. but not other times. Is he like, that's what I'm trying to wonder, like how much uh, of uh, how much is Donald Trump like Peter Sellers from being there <laughs> or like from like an idiot savant? Like, cause if you ever heard like Elon Musk talk, you're uh-huh. like, this guy sounds like adult. And then it's just, a, <laughs> I just created a new reality. You're like, okay, he's kind of a genius. It's so tough to tell with this guy. I think he's like 70, 40. 
Peter Sellers from being there. Yeah, the 70, yes. 40, yeah, 70 uh, Peter Sellers from being there and, and, and 30 whatever else I, it might be. I mean, not political genius, but at the very least, uh, knowing what, when to distract the American people, knowing right. when to get the American people uh, in a tizzy and in a huff, because, of course, that mm-hmm. took over, the transgender ban took over headlines, headlines for days. Absolutely, and this is a classic uh, uh, political trick. Uh, it's what uh, the Obama administration did when they passed gay marriage or when the Supreme Court allowed for gay marriage to go uh, and be legal and the law of the land, that's when they passed TPP. Yeah, but you, on the other you, hand, you do, do you see the when, difference here? Do you see the oh, difference? Oh, of course I see the difference. But <laughs> I'm just like saying, when people are looking this way... at least way. gave us something like positive with their yes, distraction. that is absolutely, <laughs> completely... I'm saying it's only similar in that there was a distraction. Yeah. One is just like, hey, a beautiful naked woman I could look at or, or a man or whatever. And the other one is just like, look at that, you know, random pile of elephant dung. But nonetheless, the <laughs> isn't distraction... That cool? is, isn't that cool? The distraction is there. The people People are looking away. Yeah. But yes, obviously you would you would uh, prefer to look at the former. Um, so uh, that's very interesting to see what's going on as far as the Russian uh uh, investigation goes it continues to trudge forward and of course this was a red line that Donald Trump gave to Robert Mueller of course again the special counsel he said don't look into my finances uh, that's a red line if you cross that red line I theoretically Donald Trump would fire him which would make everything worse yeah uh, and that's the thing about Donald Trump he consistently makes his life harder than it has to be which is already basically impossible because he is the president of the United States yeah so that's where we're at with the Russian collusion scandal uh, we don't don't know uh, what they found in Manafort's house. They they went through a lot of his uh, tax documents and things like that. Of course, he is the one who has the most amount of foreign investments in Russia and the one who sort of had the closest ties uh, to people that then later on connected with or contacted the Trump administration at that time, the Trump campaign. Manafort was kind of their bridge to each other. Yeah. Now, I actually read a very interesting article uh, this morning about Mueller and his team and what these people gave up in order to be on this special investigation squad. These people are giving up multi-million dollar salaries hmm. to come and work on this stuff. And That's lawyers, how much they hate Trump, huh? <laughs> well, lawyers don't give up multi-million dollar jobs for a losing case. Right. You know, lawyers don't join cases that they think might have something that might turn out to be something big. They come on when they think a case is a sure deal. Oh, absolutely. And if you're Robert Mueller, I mean, this is... This is the highlight of your career. I mean, this is the pinnacle of your life uh, when it comes to um, when it, when your life in service, uh, you know, to the FBI or to um, you know the uh, the Department of Justice. This is it. This is the biggest thing that he's ever done and, by far. And that's one of the other argu- that's one of the other arguments that people are making. It's like, well, they're coming uh, onto this case for the possibility of being a part of American history, right? Uh, and if it does turn out that there is something quite there, because remember with uh, <clears throat> Bill Clinton, like Monica Lewinsky started as Whitewater. Like Monica Lewinsky right. didn't start it as, like they only discovered her through the investigation of a, a financial, uh, you know, misdeed uh, right. investigation. So, you know, what it might turn out to be that they go into Donald Trump's finances and that's where they find the crime. It could be that there was no Russian collusion at all, right. but Donald Trump is a dirty motherfucker and right. has been for his entire life. Well, we know, uh, you know, it's a much different environment when you're working in New York real estate 
global real estate uh, than w- working within uh, the White House. There are a different set of rules and a different set of standards. And I guarantee you, Paul Manafort, more so than Donald Trump, because I do think that Donald Trump is actually relatively on the up and up because he has about 150 lawyers he pays on a regular basis. I want to get into uh, Succolo, his his current uh, lawyer. Succolo. <laughs> he looks just like the uh, the character from The Simpsons, by the way, just like the uh, the blue headed lawyer uh, in The Simpsons. Uh, he just had a recent. He just had a report come out uh, this week that is interesting as well, and that helps more of the uh, the right. It's a little bit more of a of a conservative win, but we'll get into that in a second. With Manafort, however, um, he never really had the. Uh, the manpower to organize his life in the same way that Donald Trump did. I mean, mm-hmm. the the only reason that Donald Trump was able to stay above water is for well, first of all, he had assets and such a huge name recognition that banks were just like, okay, fine, mm-hmm. you can take out these loans. We'll go, we'll do it again. Um, but Manafort just doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. So who knows what they're going to find and dig up or what they have dug up there? And that, well, I would assume take a little bit of time. Well, the reason why they, uh, I mean, it, it's very obvious the reason why they raided his house because Manafort did give them some documents. Oh, yeah. Uh, but apparently, How much? Yeah. yeah, he gave them a, a fair amount. Uh, and the, you know, the investigative team looked at those documents and said there has to be more here. Uh, and so they went looking for it. They saw yeah. enough evidence because you don't get a subpoena to raid a person's house on no evidence. There has to be very strong probable cause, especially in a case like this. Yeah, very interesting. Coming late at night, uh, you know, it, it is a pretty intense operation. Uh, and for them to keep it under wraps as long as they did is actually a testament to their uh, ability to keep things quiet. Of course, the FBI and the special counsel and also Paul Manafort. You get the feeling he's uh, he is uh, he could build a house with all of it. He is crapping right now because uh, he's got some bricks coming out of there. And he has some skeletons. He has a lot of skeletons. And uh, if you go back, you can watch that great documentary. Get me Roger Stone. They kind of go into Stone Manafort. Uh, I believe it was a man named Lee and uh, and Lee. Uh, Lee Atwater mm-hmm. and uh, and there was one other individual in their uh, lobbying firm basically redid the way that we think about politics and the way that Washington operates. So Paul Manafort has a lot of enemies, a lot of skeletons, and I would assume he keeps a lot of those skeletons and uh, paperwork that we that he wants to keep under wraps in his home. And mm-hmm. we'll see what they discovered there. So we'll oh, follow yeah. that story, of course, as we follow all the stories. Another story that came out that was a little bit more under the radar uh, in uh, in more left leaning circles. Uh, Succolos, uh, the lawyer, of course, for Donald Trump, did have a FOIA. Uh, they got some results back, and it did show that then-FBI Director James Comey had correspondence with Loretta Lynch regarding the tarmac meeting between Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch. Of course, James Comey, they're kind of using this to discredit him a little bit, and this is a lot of smoke and mirrors. There is a lot of deception. I think the American people on both sides get annoyed with it. Uh, basically, it just proved that um, that uh, James Comey did know about the meeting. And, of course, this meeting is significant because Bill Clinton meeting with uh, then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch Hillary was under investigation. Yeah. And, of course, uh, which seems to be the go-to lie, Bill Clinton just said they were talking about their grandchildren and all of this stuff. You don't go and sneak onto a tarmac and have an unscheduled meeting with a sitting attorney general to talk about your grandchildren. This isn't a tea party. This isn't uh, trying to make cordial conversation at an airport or airport. 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 which is a total inside joke that no one gets, but I don't care. <laughs> so it was definitely a uh, a pre-planned 
Um, Bill Bill Clinton had premeditated this meeting with Loretta Lynch. Yeah. Uh, James Comey said he had not heard about it. It turns out there was four email exchanges at the very least, and Loretta Lynch actually created a um, a uh, alias for herself. <laughs> what was it? It was uh, oh my god, Google Loretta Lynch alias Carlisle is the last name and the first name. It's like Roberta Carlisle or something. It is so hilarious. Elizabeth Carlisle. Yes, that's what she called <laughs> the herself. Nottingham Carlisle. I know. You can tell. <laughs> so much about a person's personality by a human's personality by what alias they choose to go by. I'm Thorgood Longbottom. Yes. I use one called Winton Arthur Danforth III. Of course. I'm Gorbler John. It's like... Bink Unger. No, that's a good one. No one would ever go after a bink. Never. Uh, so that did come out and that did prove... Uh, that there was a little bit of media collusion as well because there were some people in the media, uh, Washington Post uh, journalists and things like that. Within the email chain, it did show that they had uh, attempted to sort of snuff out the story. They didn't really want to go with the story. They didn't really care about the story. And so if you are on the right, this is sort of red meat. This this um, sort of solidifies or validates your belief in the so-called deep state. Uh, you know, and that's what the right has been talking about this week. Uh, more ad nauseum than, of course, all the other things that are happening uh, with the Trump administration. The red meat for the right this week is this um, this FOIA return that came back to Succolo and uh, and his people that show that James Comey did lie under oath. And that is something that uh, should be taken seriously. It should absolutely be taken seriously. The whole tarmac meeting, that was bullshit. I don't like it. No it's, one likes it. It's awful. Like, it, is, uh, it is absolutely not something that should have been done. Right. Absolutely not. And that's why the right, the right is now saying the big collusion is the DNC working with the media and all the, and you know, to some degree, there is something there. Yes, there is something there to some degree, but it yeah. does not cancel out exactly. what Donald Trump did. That's right. I do not get that binary thing. I know, I know. It's the butter, you know, just like, yeah. butter, but but the, the, the other thing, it's just yeah. a deflection. It's just, it, is. There, it, it deflects everything that we know about the Russian collusion yeah. and now everything that we know about uh, Manafort that's coming out uh, and everything that we're going to know about Manafort and everything right. that we're going to know about Donald Trump's dealings in business that are probably going to be pretty fucking stinky. Not saying that they're there not saying that not they the, absolutely are illegal that, you know but they yeah. are definitely walking down that road and that does not mm -hmm. mean that we should stop walking down that road we absolutely. should follow this shit wherever it goes well this is one of the issues that it's it's hard for us uh more moderates who see the problems with both sides at the end of the day the the benefit of binary thinking is when you do do the but they but but them you know look at them you you can kind of ignore who your team is, what yeah. your team has done. But if you look at it as a whole, our entire system is so riddled with hypocrisy and flaws and just unbelievable corruption Extreme that corruption. it's like, where do you go? Where do you turn? If you got, if you look at both sides equally, I mean, I don't, it is, you know, as uh, South Park put it, what is it, a turd sandwich versus yeah, a giant douche or a giant <laughs> douche. I mean, it, it, it is unbelievable. And I think people want answers and they want to feel like, well, at least one side is working for me a little bit more than the other side. But in reality, they both don't have your concerns in mind. They don't give a, they don't care. And we're also going to talk about uh, the opioid addiction, uh, the speech that Donald Trump gave, uh, which was absolutely horrendous, completely missed the mark. But we'll talk about that uh, in a second right after this. And we'll get to the North Koreans again uh, coming up here. Uh, in the show as well. Yeah, DNC's dirty, RNC's dirty, it's all dirty, it's all shitty. And yeah, it should all be investigated. But 
Just because one side did something wrong does not mean yep. that you di- that your side did nothing wrong. Right. They both did. They both do. Uh, they've both done and continue to do wrong things. Of course, uh, Donald Trump is currently on his. 17-day vacation. He's a couple of days into that. That's when he gave, that's where he gave the opioid speech was from his golf course. Uh, he has now traveled 41 times for golf, which is spending the uh, t- uh, costing the American taxpayer 55 million bucks uh, to date. Uh, he is looking to outspend Barack Obama in one year. Donald Trump in one year will outspend what Barack Obama cost the American taxpayer in travel in eight years. And how many times did Donald Trump send out a tweet criticizing Obama for taking a vacation? I mean, too many, many to count. And of course, on the campaign trail, he promised he would be too busy uh, to uh, to go golf. And obviously, that was just another lie. Huh. Uh, there is no denying that. And in, in Donald Trump's mind, you you wonder, does he even know uh, that he was telling an untruth uh, because it's just so pathological? But, of course, it is pathological with all of these people yeah. uh, who are currently um, running our government. It, it is unbelievable. So that's where we're at with the Russian collusion scandal. We don't know exactly what Mueller was able to find out. Of course, uh, the feud between Jeff Sessions and Donald Trump continues. Uh, of course, uh, Donald Trump livid with Jeff Sessions for recusing himself from the Russian scandal. So that that is still very uh, you know up in the air. The relationship will Attorney General Jeff Sessions stay? We don't know yet. Either way, Mueller is still there, and it doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere anytime soon. Because at the end of the day, Donald Trump, if he does fire him again. That will look horrible, and the investigation will continue. Yeah, Mueller is Mueller is not the it does not die with Mueller's firing. It, it continues and will probably come back stronger than ever. That's what I've wondered: is if Mueller he does fire Mueller, what does he expect is going to happen? Does he is he just going to keep firing people until finally there's someone that says never mind? Uh, I suppose he wants to sort of you know attempt to do a Nixonian route with that, but that's just not possible. It doesn't and, happen. No, it doesn't happen. And again, uh, you know, people talk about the deep state, uh, those sorts of things. At the end of the day, the reality of it is Donald Trump pissed off a lot of people when he ran in 2016. He doesn't have a lot of friends in Washington. Uh, Mitch McConnell's doing the best he can to galvanize support for things like the health care bill and whatnot, but it's just not uh, going anywhere quickly. And uh, so Donald Trump is going to continue to have an uphill battle within his own party. And obviously the Democrats are going to be 100 percent uh, obstructionist in whatever he wants to yeah. do. And Donald Trump, he keeps insulting vets constantly. <laughs> yeah. he, he insulted another one. There was a, a, a senator who uh, did lie about his Vietnam service. You're talking about Senator Blumenthal. Senator Blumenthal, yeah. uh, who has criticized Trump and uh, Trump did in a Twitter storm said that. Where did he say that it was the uh, the biggest lie ever told to the American people? He says that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that he does is the biggest thing that's ever happened in human history. I'll read those tweets to you now. Uh, I think Senator Blumenthal should take a nice long vacation. In v- oh, this is this is actually a follow up. Oh wow! Never mind. He didn't. <laughs> he's is brand new. No, no, that was. Uh, this is the original tweet from two days ago. Interesting to watch Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut talking about hoax Russia collusion when he was a phony Vietnam car, a con artist. Never in U.S. history has anyone lied or defrauded voters like Senator Richard Blumenthal. He told stories about his Vietnam battles and conquests, how brave he was, and it was all a lie. He cried like a 
baby and begged for forgiveness like a child. <laughs> now he judges collusion? Well, I mean, it just reads it just, like a children's novel. But, I mean, Senator <laughs> Blumenthal's a real schmuck, too. I mean, I don't care. Yeah. I don't like this guy at all. Yeah, of course he's, uh, yeah, of course he's a schmuck, but he's just not doing, just Trump is just not doing himself any favors by attacking people in military service. And yeah. the thing is that Blumenthal, yeah, he did lie, but you know what he also did? He also apologized, something that Donald Trump has never once did in his entire life. And yep. also, by the way, never once served in uh, the armed forces. Never no, forget that. No, five definitely de- Five not. deferments. Yes. Bone spurs. That's it. Well, you can't fly with bone spurs. No, uh, you cannot. That's very painful. Very, very painful. It's a big annoyance. Big annoyance. And you know what? <laughs> I remember all those soldiers in Vietnam were just like, one annoyance and I'm out of here. <laughs> if I get annoyed one time, yeah. well, what are they spraying over us? It's called Agent Orange. If I get annoyed one time, I am out of here. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're sucking in something that's going to give them cancer uh, in the uh, in the years to come. Yeah. So yes, of yeah, course, Donald those- Trump has. And I mean, this goes way back to him, uh, you know, demonizing um, Khan, the uh, the the. Uh, the uh, was it Gold Star yeah. father of a, yeah. of a fallen uh, yeah. veteran and demonizing John McCain because he likes people who didn't get caught. Yes, of course. So that's a long that's a long history. Yeah. I want to switch a little bit now to go into the opioid conversation. Uh, we might be able to play some clips at the end of the show uh, of the conversations that I had. I was hosting. Uh, um, uh, Sirius Channel 450 Fox News Radio. If we don't get those, you can go and find that on Facebook. Just search Fox News Radio. And, and I wanted to, the, the calls that we got about this were really interesting um, because it was just from these are Trump supporters yeah. who are being devastated by the opioid crisis right now in this country. 52,000 people died last year in 2016. The year before that, it was 33,000 people. And the interesting thing is, it's all coming from big pharmaceutical companies. In 1991, there were 71 million prescriptions for OxyContin, Percocet. Uh, opioids. Mm -hmm. In 2010, there was 207 million prescriptions. Did did somehow life get harder for people who were working? Did did workplaces get less safe? What happened? Oh, big pharmaceuticals giving millions and millions of dollars uh, to to politicians for massive kickbacks. And at the end of the day, these pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies are the ones writing our health care bill. And you can say what you want about uh, Barack Obama if you want to praise him for the uh, for, um, uh, for uh, the Affordable Care Act, there are some good things in it. At the end of the day, they got eight billion bucks a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, these pharmaceutical companies, and they're going to get the exact same amount of money if Trump Care uh, passes or Ryan Care passes. If the GOP passes their health care plan, the same group of people are going to be getting a lot of cash because they write the legislation. That's the problem. It is a it is over prescriptions. It is uh, over doctors over prescribing patients because they get a kickback from pharmaceutical companies. These patients literally get addicted uh, without wanting. No one. Uh, just to go back briefly, so Donald Trump's speech was about how you have to just never start, never stop, never start doing oxy, never start doing opioids. So ignorant. These people who get addicted to this drug, to these drugs, don't wake up in the morning and have a to-do list of like, got to go pick up laundry, got to go shopping. We want to do a barbecue later. Let's get some steak. I'm going to get addicted to opioids at 4 p.m., <laughs> uh, 5 p.m., pick up the kids, and 6 p.m., let's go to a church service. It is not on purpose yeah. that people get addicted to opioids. It is obviously a side effect of an extremely powerful um, uh, drug that tricks your brain into you know needing it, and that's why when they kick it, it is almost impossible. I had a couple of phone calls, uh, one from a person who got hit by a car, classic, uh, you know, got prescribed uh, Percocet, 
And next thing you know, trying to kick it because the doctor gave him 200 pills for a month. God. Tried to kick it. He 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 actually, this person actually did. Um, but he said he was looking at it for four days, looking at those two bottles. And he was sweating like Jesus in the desert, trying to resist the temptation that the devil was uh, giving him. And, and he did. He was able to resist. But most of the people that called, they still take three a day. And you know for a fact, as soon as those, um, as soon as those prices rise, as soon as the premiums go through the roof, they're going to start doing illegal drugs. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's not this. He's taking this old, ridiculous, archaic, primitive notion of the Reagan era war on drugs, the Nixon era war on drugs. Because Say Nixon, no to drugs. Say no to drugs. But these, this is an entirely different situation. Yeah. This isn't this isn't people doing a bunch of coke or smack. This is, you know, we talk about. Oh, the drug dealer in the dark alley. And whatever you think, I mean, honestly, let's be honest. People think about black. They think about, uh, you know, wearing a, a, a do-rag in, in shady clothes. Or they think about a, a dude in a trench coat in the back, you know, opening it up and, and showing you all the drugs. That's what people think about a drug dealer. Well, get rid of that notion. It's a white lab coat with a with a pen protector, a pen pocket protector, a stethoscope around their neck. That's the modern day drug dealer in this country. And Donald Trump promised on the campaign trail that he was going to nip the opioid um, problem in the bud. Of course, we are way past this thing has flowered out. We need a chainsaw to chop down this tree at this point. And I thought and we and I gave him credit for that. I was like, that's good. He was the only candidate who was talking about opioids, a massive epidemic in blue collar at the end of the day, white, lower to middle income rural areas. Those are Trump supporters. And he promised he was going to fight it. And the speech that he gave was talking about how people are serving 20 percent less time for opioid abuse. So theoretically, we have Jeff Sessions, who has promised told prosecutors to charge people the most possible amount of time uh, in, in, uh, in, in these cases. And, uh, and then we have Donald Trump raging against the fact that they are getting released 20 percent uh, earlier, uh, you know, time wise. That is not the problem. No. The problem is not we're not incarcerating enough people who are addicted to opioids. He wants to take it to another, you know, it's just such a uh, a barbaric way of thinking about the problem that we have with opioids in this country, and he is totally missing the mark after, and it just goes back to, again, his words were shallow as a puddle. Yeah. You know, he's like, I promise you we're going to. And he keeps on talking about winning this winning the opioid uh, addiction problem. So childish. What, what, is, what is that? What is winning? You know, and in his mind, the only thing that he can get through his stupid skull is putting them in prison. Yeah. And these are, you know, the racial politics of the war on drugs is undeniable. And now we have a situation where those chickens are coming home to roost in white suburbia rural country places and uh so basically the prison industrial complex is going to continue to balloon pharmaceutical companies are going to continue to uh, allow to get people addicted to drugs and donald trump is going to sit here and tout that as a victory over the opioid uh, um, uh crisis well if there's one thing that we know about drug addiction and drug offenders is that punitive measures do not work absolutely not punitive measures are the worst thing you can do if there's one thing that we know in the entire world by the way knows, everyone knows it. everyone knows 
knows that rehabilitation is how you fix these things. And trying to send punitive measures to try to fight an opioid epidemic is a guaranteed way to make it worse. Just totally. like we made the crack epidemic worse in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that, just like how cracking down on marijuana gives power to the cartels. Punitive measures always make drug addiction worse in yeah. every single Aspect. And you could make a strong fiscally conservative argument about this, too. We we pay on average $22,000 per prisoner per year. Yeah. Uh, we have 2.4 million people in prison. Less than that in federal prisons, obviously. But that's in jails and, 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 and local uh, state-run prisons as well. Um, $22,000 a year, it would cost much less than that to give them drug uh, rehabilitation programs. Yeah, and Absolutely. keep them with their families. Keep them with their families. You can make another socially conservative argument if you want the nucleus of the family to stay intact. Stop tearing it apart, Yeah, which is exactly the irony of what the war on drugs has done, mostly for communities of color. But now again, we're seeing it happen with across the board. Uh, and at the end of the day, it just is what it is. But when whites start to get affected, that's usually when change happens. Mm-hmm. But in this situation... It just seems like the pharmaceutical tentacles are so deep and so ingrained financially in the American uh, political system that they will just win this battle. And we're going to continue to see incarceration rates rise, opioid abuse uh, continue to skyrocket, and nothing remotely close to a plausible solution such as rehabilitation, is even being proposed. Well, greed is the great equalizer here. Yeah. And, you know, you look at another fiscal responsibility uh, argument when it comes to legalization of marijuana, 28 billion bucks. That's what the economy would make uh, federally if we legalized marijuana across the board. Of course, then you would have people, uh, you know, that wouldn't be going to jail, wouldn't be getting locked up, and that industry might theoretically lose a little bit of business. Uh, So we'll see if that ever happens because the powers that be want to maintain a stranglehold on their economic success. And to do that, they have to have extremely harsh punishments uh, for people all across this country. I mean, come on, man. Where would you rather go to work every day? The marijuana store or a fucking prison? Right. If you want to talk about economics, if you want to talk about like making the American people happier, yeah. You know, it's marijuana so, marijuana will create jobs. Do you want to go work on a marijuana farm or do you want to go uh, serve slop in a prison cafeteria? Yeah, I mean it's unbelievable. So that's that's the uh, that's where we're at right now with the opioid crisis. Uh, it doesn't seem to be going away. It is not going away anytime soon. And Donald Trump, that speech was just really disheartening because I thought this might be an actual thing that he could care about, but it just proves once again that he has a one-track mind and he refuses to critically think about the issues that are facing the country that he is currently working uh, as president for. You know, it goes back to that conversation that leaked between he and uh, the leaders of Mexico and the and the prime minister of Australia oh. when uh, Donald Trump called New Hampshire a drug-infested den. He's talking to a, a, a leader of Mexico and um, the leader of Mexico, and he was talking about how the you know it's it's Mexican drugs coming all the way up to like New Hampshire. It's not. It's pharmaceutical drugs. That's the that's the problem. Totally missing the point. Uh, and then talking to the uh, the person, the, the Prime Minister uh, Turnbull of Australia, uh, talking about the refugee crisis and completely not understanding, not understanding what anything. the entire deal was understanding nothing. He sounded so pathetic he just on those calls he yeah. sounded like such a little boy well you whining know, he doesn't i will say this about trump we know who he is yeah that's one of the interesting things when it comes to the it's not going to be like the nixon tapes where we're like wow it turns out he was a total bigot because at that point we didn't have the exposure we didn't have the we didn't have the um 
the curtain wasn't nearly as pulled back in culture as it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were like, wow, that's kind of shocking that Richard Nixon sounds like that behind closed doors. With Trump, you read those transcripts and you're like, that is exactly what he sounds like on Twitter. <laughs> it's exactly what he sounds like when he's giving any speech. So he is honest to the uh, person that he is, I suppose. I think he actually sounded worse. I think you really got yep. to see what a sniveling coward he really is and how much he begs. I mean, yeah. if you listen to how much he begged uh, the president of Mexico to not talk about the wall in public. Right public can you imagine what he sounds like when he talks to putin can you imagine what he sounds like when he talks to angela merkel uh i mean it's just he is such a weak little boy yeah that is the proof not if we didn't even have if we as if we didn't already have enough proof now we have proof what he is like behind closed doors Mm. and he is Weak. Well, you know, the art of the deal would theoretically uh, mean uh, holding your cards close to your chest, but this guy, uh, you know... Uh, Donald Trump is a poker player, and he's got, uh, you know, mirrors for glasses. I mean, everyone, <laughs> he just shows everyone his hand. He's so transparent about it. Uh, it's really interesting. And, of course, uh, those documents leaked out of the White House. We don't know who the leaker is. Sean Spicer is technically still employed, or he is employed until the 15th of August. So who the heck knows uh, who is leaking that? Obviously, again, there are a lot of enemies in the Trump White House. And uh, there are a lot of people who potentially uh, would have leaked that document. Uh, Scaramucci, who knows? Yeah. Maybe Jeff Sessions himself, or maybe Donald Trump is just crazy enough to think he sounded great on those. And I'm not <laughs> even making that. It's possible because you remember when Scaramucci was talking about sources on CNN, and the guy is like, who is your secret source? And the mooch was just like, okay, fine, it was the president. <laughs> so that's like, it, it's all, like, you know, it is possible, theoretically, that he's, that he's leaking his own documents because he thinks it makes him look strange. Wrong. Yeah, that he thought that him uh, throwing a temper tantrum with Turnbull made him sound strong. Yes, and if you get a chance, read the transcripts uh, with Malcolm Turnbull. The main thing was uh, the refugees. They got refugees in Australia that Obama said we would take, and now uh, Donald Trump does not want to take them um, because, of course, he wants to be tough on immigration uh, and so-called tough on ISIS. At the end of the day, these are refugees who are fleeing those countries who probably hate ISIS a heck of a lot more than we could ever imagine because they lived under the tyranny of ISIS. I got into a live leak um, uh, wormhole the other day researching for the last stream on the left. And uh, if you look at some ISIS uh, interviews there from people who had to deal with ISIS, one woman told a story about how um, they kidnapped a woman, obviously did horrible things to her, uh, fed her, and then after they fed her, they said that it was her one-year-old son that she had eaten, and they raped a 10-year-old girl in front of her father uh, to death. Uh, And those were the stories that you hear coming from ISIS. And these are the people that we're talking about in Australia. Um, They are human beings who have... Their homeland is destroyed. It's just, you know, and and in Donald Trump's cold, heartless mind, he can't, uh, can't separate. This is 200 people in Australia not a lot. 2,000. Uh, 2,000. Not a lot. Enough to vet. And if you, if they don't pass the vetting, then don't let them in. But please, Lord, as a country, let's have a little sympathy here. Yeah. Just, and, d- uh, don't just look, say, see Brown and say no. Exactly. I mean, it is, uh, that's, oh, that, that, that stuff is really intense. And uh, this president is just so, he's, I understand we have to be safe. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, as we've talked about on last podcast on the left on a regular basis, terrorism usually doesn't come from outside. It's uh, it's domestic. Yeah. Um, so let's sh- switch gears real quick here to North Korea. I can't. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Like North Korea. Goodness. Great. We should do this show. We could do this show every hour of every day. 
So North Korea, again, uh, it has come uh, out in a Washington Post article. They do have the uh, nuclear miniaturized nuclear capability that can be attached to an ICBM. This is the second half uh, to what we've been seeing, again, with our satellite footage when it comes to their uh, uh, testing of ICBMs. Uh, of course, they are not accurate whatsoever. They end up in the Sea of Japan, uh, very wobbly. Um, and, of course, the U.S. does. We do have a great interceptor program. It has to improve. Right now it's around 50 percent. Uh, we want that to get to be 100 percent if we're talking about nuclear weapons here. But we did not realize, the intelligence community did not realize that Kim Jong-un uh, has uh, – they have perfected or are closer to perfecting uh, this capability than we previously thought. The U.S. has put more sanctions on the North Koreans. Of course, that's just going to lead to more North Koreans starving. I'm not saying that that's a bad idea. I mean, I think we have to put a lot of sanctions on the North Koreans. Uh, and nor it's just unfortunate that their government is going to allow them to starve so they can continue their nuclear program, which has basically been the goal of the Kim dynasty ever since day one. Yeah. That's been the massive point of the entire thing. Uh, of the entire uh, regime is getting these weapons to theoretically then be a global presence. It's now suspected that they have 30 to 60 uh, nuclear, uh, miniature nuclear um, uh, warheads or, or, or the ability to get these warheads onto the ICBM. 30 to 60 before it was thought to be much less than that. The U.S. has 6,800. The Russians have 7,000. And then it goes to around like 3,000 like the U with U.K. and, and down. Uh, I believe France has like 80. Um, so it, it was, it's more than we expected and they're further along than we expected. And really at the end of the day, um, so uh, Nikki Haley, uh, they, she has put forward sanctions. Um, the Chinese are the ones who are really sort of in dire straits here because mm -hmm. this they can no longer control their little brother. Kim Jong-un seems to be uh, kind of going off in his own, killing obviously his brother back in the day a couple of months ago to assure that he is the only one to sit on the throne, which is what it is. Uh, and the Chinese don't really know what to do anymore. Of course, the Chinese give them the majority of their food. It's 90% of their economics is just China. And then, of course, the Russians also help out the North Koreans quite a bit. But if the, Nor if the North Koreans do anything to the United States, they say, again, they want to attack Guam or wherever, they are gone. They are off the map. And then the Chinese really are the ones who ultimately lose because they're going to lose the whole peninsula. Yeah. And then next thing you know, we don't have that South Korea, North Korea, China buffer, which is all that China, uh, that's all that North Korea is for the Chinese is really a South Korea might as well just be America. Yeah. You know, we have 30 military bases over there. That is, we, we feed them. We, we are so um, unbelievably important in their economic stability North, the South Korea might as well just be Alabama, you know, or <laughs> uh, probably does better than Alabama. As a matter of fact, it might as, okay. yeah, might as well be, uh, you know, Alabama. Yeah. Alabama does not do well. No, it does not. Uh, we should probably take care of Alabama just as much as we do South Korea, but that's a whole other thing. take care of the entire South. Parts of the, there are whole um, swaths of the South that are third world countries. So now we're seeing a situation where it's escalating and Donald Trump, when asked about this, uh, said that we were going to attack North Korea, or if they do anything provocative, <sighs> they will be met with the most amount of fire and fury that the world has ever seen. This is unnerving, of course, because we've already had a uh, nuclear war happen with, uh, what was it, fat, fat Man and Little Boy? Fat Man and Little Boy, Hiroshima uh, and Nagasaki. And, of course, I believe it was uh, Hiroshima, 80,000 people dead immediately, hundreds of thousands more to die later. Uh, Nagasaki, similar numbers but smaller, uh, before, of course, the Emperor of Japan 
chose to step down, had to step down, uh, and step down as God, really, in Japan. Yeah. So we've already seen the destruction of, of what warfare would look like. And for him to say this is very hyperbolic. And, uh, you know, this is how Donald Trump speaks. He, he, everything is always biggest, the biggest in the world. He believes he's in an action movie. That's what we've said about these people. And we also, I mean, not to completely compare him to, to Timothy McVeigh, uh, but, you know, people that are extreme in this way, they feel like they're in an action movie. They want to live in an action movie. They don't yep. want to live the narrative uh, that their life is. You know, that life is somewhat monotonous and boring sometimes. They want to feel like an action hero. And that's what Donald Trump wants to feel like but he is going to be a film star but what he's going to be a film star in is korean propaganda videos well that's exactly what they used it for yeah that's exactly what they used it for immediately uh immediately and that's when the state-run tv uh in north korea was like we'll attack well all this kind of stuff and now we have mad dog mattis coming out a man who previously was talking mostly about uh sitting down and um and having conversations with the North Koreans. Of course, Rex Tillerton, uh, Tillerson, Secretary of State, as of a week ago, said that we, we were friends with the North Koreans. Everyone is really speaking out of both sides of their mouths. But now Mattis has come forward uh, in a document today saying that if they do anything provocative, uh, they will, they'll be basically hell to pay uh, and they will be obliterated off the, uh, off the uh, face of the globe. So things are heightening there. Uh, however, again, the way that the media is making this out to be, um, they're pretending as if this there's going to be a nuclear attack. It's like imminent, like they're, they're trying to equate it to another, uh, you know, sort of a Cuban missile crisis. It, it's not nearly there. No, uh, we're not even close to that at this point. Um, and so I think they're just, of course, doing their best to get their ratings and to get people to rally around the flag. One of the scary things is a great way to ra- have people rally around the flag. And if you're a president with 30 percent approval rating. Uh, a great way to get those numbers up is war. Yeah, and so that that's that's unnerving uh, as well. Extremely, that's more unnerving than anything else. And this problem with the North Koreans, it, this is nothing new. And that's one of the aggravating things right now. Like Charles Blow, he's such a he's a total dick. Uh, but he was talking about, did we worry about nuclear war under Barack Obama? It's like. We should have been. We should have been. Strategic patience obviously has not worked, which is now off the uh, – that is no longer the official U.S. policy. But strategic patience with the North Koreans has been the policy for decades. And we've been constantly trying to, you know, trying to figure out uh, the um, – the, uh, how much carrot, how much stick. How mm-hmm. much carrot, how much stick to give. This sort of like trying – this balancing act with the North Koreans. Although, Marcus, want to hear a funny joke? Sure. With with Kim Jong-un, we say how much, how much stick, how much cake <laughs> – because of his weight, um, and now and now that's off. So uh, the question is now: What happens? Um, what does the U.S. do? Do we preempt and just try to um, do uh, airstrikes and obliterate their capabilities? Do we do that, or do we wait uh, and allow uh, continue to allow it to escalate? To the point where we have a situation where an ICBM, possibly with the nuclear uh, capability, is uh, launched with the capability of going 5,000 miles and uh, potentially hitting a, a territory or the United States, a territory of the United States or the United States proper. And these are the really tough things. Yeah. Um, and again, people talk about uh, you know, North Korea. It's not an imminent threat to the United States, but South Korea right there. All those military bases in South Korea are America yeah. by, also, by law. And also the Koreans are people. You know, oh, yeah, the of Japanese, course. The Japanese yeah. are people. Like It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter that Americans might no, die. I, yeah. it's, it's that 
a lot of people might die. When marketing the war, though, that's how, you know, people think about how, that's why when you hear about a plane crash overseas, they're like, 78 Germans died. <laughs> One American. <laughs> you know, it's always like, they don't care about anybody always, else. But always. it's always like, and I heard one American stubbed a toe. <gasps> Where was he from? Georgia. <laughs> Isn't that sad? They interview his parents. They're like, how is his toe? Is his toe okay? 78 people shot in a massacre and an American from Georgia got his toe nubbed <gasps> while running away. Um, so that whole uh, situation is very interesting, and we're going to keep on following it here. But uh, there's really isn't, there's no reason to freak out, but I understand Donald Trump doesn't do himself or this country any favors by speaking so flippantly about these issues that are unbelievably important. This, Life is, and why death. We, this is why we didn't and, want him elected. Yeah. This is exactly the situation why we did not want well, him elected, why we didn't want to take a, take a chance with somebody this, on the outside, with an outsider. This is why, because they don't know how to deal with this shit. Well, if he could have just learned how to do it. And the learning curve, by the way, the learning curve is totally over. I'm so over the argument of that he's a novice uh, in politics and he's not a politician. He's the president, so. He's the president. Uh, this, is the jo- this is the job. This is not politics. This is the, this is the job. It's a lot of time. Six months is a lot of time if you really learn. Uh, you can If you pay attention yeah, at all you can and do care it. and have any intellectual curiosity and don't just read and just don't read bullet points. Well, he watches a lot of he watches a lot of news. That's uh, going back to that Blumenthal tweet. Uh, Blumenthal was on CNN 15 minutes before he tweeted that. So he was obviously watching. This, this. is your man. Are you listening? Uh, this you is know. your man. Well, it's good for the TV ratings. Um, we got you. Got to love that. Uh, all right. So, and then of course you have Rex Tillerson trying to be the good cop here. So we have a good cop, bad cop thing happening. And oh my goodness. Anyway, it never ends. We'll always have a lot more to talk about here on Abling's Top Hat. Thanks so much for listening. Um, everything's gonna be fine. You know, just <laughs> yeah. go go to Culver's, have a butter burger. Yeah, uh, <laughs> butter burgers make every butter uh, every burger better. Butter burger make every butter bigger. A butter burger makes every <laughs> burger better. Butter burger you makes got every burger better. You nailed it. Woo! All right. Hail yourselves, everyone. Uh, this is Ablegan's Top Pat. That's Marcus Parks. Find him on Twitter at Marcus Parks. I'm Ben Kissel. I'm Ben Kissel. Uh, Marcus Parks on Instagram. I'm Ben Kissel1. And uh, we'll see you in San Francisco this weekend. Yeah, see you then. Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to Fox News Talk, everyone. I am your host, Ben Kissel. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel. Also, check out the Facebook live stream. Just go to Facebook and type in Fox News Radio, and you'll be able to watch the show streaming right there. Call in 877-367-2526. That's 877-367-2526. Let's go to Twitter. Now, Jimmy says, great show, Ben. First-time listener today. Uh, You're a great replacement for the late great Alan Combs. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. That's about as high a compliment as a person can give. Um, we're going to switch gears a little bit from North Korea. We might go back a, uh, a little late in the, later in the hour if you want to talk about that. Feel free, of course, to call in um, then. But right now I want to talk a little bit about Donald Trump. He is uh, bringing up the massive U.S. epidemic of opioid drug use, um, but has yet to really offer any steps to do anything about it. Uh, a lot of times what happens with our drug conversation in this country is we attack uh, the person who is using the drugs as opposed to um, the reasons behind why they are using the drugs. And we have a situation where pharmaceutical companies uh, give millions and millions of dollars on a regular basis uh, to politicians. And at the end of the day, you have to hold them accountable when it comes to the near 52,000 deaths that we see here. 
on an annual basis in this country uh, of individuals, by individuals who um, overdose on things like OxyContin. You know, a lot of times they start off taking OxyContin, then they escalate up when insurance prices go too high uh, and they can no longer afford Oxy, perhaps uh, you know, perhaps they lose health insurance or, again, perhaps premiums go through the roof. They they have to drop it. Um, and then they turn to the much worse, although they're both horrible, but uh, the heroin and things like that, where you really start to see a lot of the nefarious people coming around and a lot of the underground, um, you know, uh, side effects the, the uh, of being uh, around people um, who are in a uh, in a business that that is illegal. Um, so let's play Donald Trump talking a little bit about opioids here. Meanwhile, federal drug prosecutions have gone down in recent years. We're going to be bringing them up and bringing them up rapidly. At the end of 2016, there were 23 percent fewer than in 2011. So they looked at this scourge and they let it go by and we're not letting it go by. The average sentence length for a convicted federal drug offender decreased 20 percent from 2009 to 2016. During my campaign, I promised to fight this battle because as president of the United States, my greatest responsibility is to protect the American people and to ensure their safety, especially in some parts of our country. It is horrible. During the 2016 campaign, the pharmaceutical industry was the 15th most general, generous industry in terms of donations uh, to the politicians that were running for the highest office in the land. So it is not, uh, it is no accident that this epidemic has spread so quickly throughout so many places in this country. Um, you know, big pharmaceutical companies benefited greatly monetarily from people being addicted to their products just like Big Tobacco did. And I firmly believe we need to start holding their feet to the fire and actually uh, getting them to take some responsibility uh, for what they're doing to our communities across uh, this amazing country. And I got to say, when it comes to Donald Trump um, saying that the problem is there's not enough individuals in prison, I, I just completely disagree with him on that. This is a this is a uh, an issue that is not going to be solved by locking up more people. Again, we have 2.3, 2.4 million people in prison in this country. It costs the taxpayers roughly 22000 bucks a year per inmate. We're spending so much of our money locking people up, and all they do when they're in there is learn how to be a better criminal, and at the end of the day, they get the same amount of smack uh, they got on the outside. So it's counterproductive, and I think it's such a, um, uh, a, uh, a narrow and, and short-sighted view of uh, where this problem is or why this problem exists and how to solve it. But let's continue on with Donald Trump because, you know, to his credit, uh, he was the only candidate in 2016 talking about this stuff. And this is this is hitting, you know, a lot of times in this country. We, t we think about drug abuse as some urban phenomenon. And, uh, you know, we think about uh, the erosion of cities. But Oxy and heroin, uh, you know, opioids, that's affecting rural 
uh, places all over this country. It's affecting, uh, you know, really vulnerable uh, pockets of our population who previously were employed uh, but have since gone out of work, whether they be coal miners or uh, truck drivers, whatever it might be. It is affecting uh, people not just in our urban settings but in our rural settings, and that's an interesting phenomenon. And the fact that it's coming through, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals, insurance, and doctors is kind of unnerving. It seems like there's a systematic issue here, systemic issue here, when it comes to over-prescribing people uh, things like, again, OxyContin. You should never... Uh, take this drug, uh, and let, for, you should take this drug for a very finite period of time. The, you know, I, it's funny, my, my parents are, it's not funny, but my folks have moved out to, uh, to Florida. They're in Fort Lauderdale. And Florida has been hit so hard with this. I have a lot of friends from Florida, and you wouldn't believe it, man. I mean, it is, you know, you talk about gun violence in, in places, New Orleans and, uh, in, in Chicago and, uh, Detroit, uh, and that is obviously very, serious. Um, it seems like when you talk to people that come from those areas, they all have a story about how someone was uh, involved in an altercation that involved a firearm. When you talk to people uh, such as individuals from Florida, it seems to me every one of my friends has a situation, has a story about one of their friends overdosing. And this is real stuff, and it's extremely sad. And the, sending those people to jail, to prison, would not have stopped them. Uh, because, again, the amount of drug use that happens on a regular basis in our penitent- uh, penitentiaries is almost on the same uh, level as the amount of drug use that happens on our streets. We need rehabilitation, not incarceration. But let's listen to Donald Trump. The best way to prevent drug addiction and overdose is to prevent people from abusing drugs in the first place. If they don't start, they won't have a problem. If they do start, it's awfully tough to get off. So we can keep them from going on and maybe by talking to youth and telling them no good, really bad for you in every way. But if they don't start, it will never be a problem. You know, this is sort of the old policies, uh, you know, the just say no notion. Uh, It's just not human. Uh, it's just not the way that people work. And, and you know, he, I, I think he's putting it in context of youth. Uh, the people who are getting addicted uh, to OxyContin and to these huge pharmaceutical drugs are often middle-aged men, uh, you know. Uh, and it's because they are injured on the job, given a prescription, uh, you know, that that was far, far too excessive. And next thing you know, they didn't know that they were going to get addicted. Their doctor said it was good for them. Their doctor said take two of these and you'll feel better. You'll be able to get back to work. No, addiction is not a pre-planned event in human life. No one is like, today I'm going to go out, I'm going to go shopping, I'm going to get some frozen pizzas, I'm going to go, I'm going to get some ice cream from Ben and Jer at a better, you know, uh, you know at, a, at a Culver's, and I think I'm going to get addicted to, to smack, uh, and then I'm going to pick up the kids and maybe play a little basketball at the end of the night. It's not a planned event, and so I just feel like he's kind of missing the mark here. 
However, I think it is good, again, that we're having this conversation on a uh, national level. Uh, Trump spoke at this event. He billed it as a major briefing on the opioid crisis during a two-week working vacation at his private golf club in New Jersey. Speaking of a place that has a real epidemic going on, New Jersey is certainly one of the states that does. And again, it's because New Jersey is work uh, full of a bunch of um, hard-working Good Bruce Springsteen loving middle class Americans who have been bit by this opioid bug because they didn't know uh, how powerful these drugs were and are. He also used the appearance to unexpectedly issue a stern warning again to North Korea, which is we played that audio a little bit earlier. Let's go on to another Donald Trump uh, clip here where he's describing this as a serious problem. We're going to do our job. We're going to get it going. We have a tremendous team of experts and people that want to beat this, this horrible situation that's happened to our country. And we will. We will win. We have no alternative. We have to win for our youth. We have to win for our young people. And frankly, we have to win for a lot of other people, not necessarily young, that are totally addicted and have serious, serious problems. Uh, again, you know, it's this notion of winning. Um, it's a strange kind of thing to it's, it's, it's a strange angle to have when it comes to the opioid epidemic. Yes, we, we want to win. But but what is that? Uh, right. Like, how, how does that work? What does that look like? Um, and I think the idea of demonizing, in my personal opinion, in this specific uh, arena, the, the the victim, which is the people who get addicted to these to these hard uh, to to the oxycontin uh, and the other opioids that are given to them again, mostly by the doctor. Although many kids uh, and many people do, specifically children, tend to get them by stealing from their parents who were over prescribed these things. It's a trickle down of drug abuse. There is no de- denying that. But this idea of incarcerating uh, them just does not seem to make a lot of sense. According to the Bureau of Prisons, there are roughly 207,000 people incarcerated in federal prisons. Roughly half, 48.6% of them, are in for drug offenses, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Um, This was in uh, 2015, and now, of course, it's probably much higher than that, uh, given the fact that um, it is really, this this epidemic is, it's a wildfire, and it is spreading at such a rapid rapid rate it's very difficult uh, to get your finger on the uh, on, on where it is and how to stop it so at the end of the day it is good the president is talking about it i do wish that he would talk about it in more of a terms of uh, of mental health bring up the pharmaceutical angle talk about the doctor angle and, and really try to uh, tell people um that yes, of course, uh, drug abuse isn't tolerated. But if you need help, hey, instead of spending two twenty-two thousand bucks uh, a year on incarcerating you, maybe as a people we could spend a couple thousand bucks to try to get you some medical help, so then you could kick this horrible habit that destroys lives. All right, this is Fox News Talk. I'll take your call right after the break. Uh, I am Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. We're talking about the opioid epidemic that is facing this country right now, and uh, it is it is a problem. It's a massive epidemic. Uh, countless uh, people are dying on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, um, I believe it was Chris Christie who equated what happens uh, on a monthly basis or a few every few months. We have a 9/11 style catastrophe. A commission created by Donald Trump to study opioid abuse urged him last week to declare a national emergency to to address what 
what is called uh, what is now called the opioid crisis, framing its death toll in the context of September 11, 2011. An emergency declaration could free up federal resources uh, for the effort. Um, so let's go to the phones. Let's go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Let's talk to Zach. Zach, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about Trump's response? I mean, obviously, opioids, uh, it's a very serious problem facing the country. Well, let me ask you, um, what exactly about Big Pharma do you think is related to heroin use? I think the Big Pharma is uh, using opioids to get individuals hooked and then premiums go through the roof. They made $8 billion uh, under Obamacare yearly. Uh, big pharmaceutical companies are absolutely complicit when it comes to what's happening uh, in rural cities all over this country when it comes to the OxyContin opioid uh, addiction problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, um, it's just that I know that heroin is definitely the, the main source of all these deaths. Well, but now we're seeing that heroin isn't the main source. That's the whole thing with uh, with the OxyContin uh, and the uh, and the overprescription as well, um, which is uh, according to this uh, thing, uh, according to this article by Alan Moses on WebMD, um, when American doctors give their patients narcotic painkillers, they say 99% of them hand out prescriptions that exceed federally recommended three-day dosage limits. This is according yeah. to some new research. So, uh, you know, what, and what happens then is, you know, people, when, when they can no longer afford the drug or when the doctor does say, hey, you know, we've had enough, you've had enough, then next thing you know, they're going to find the next closest thing, which is heroin. Well, the thing is, the people that are prescribed these drugs are people that need them for some kind of pain or something. Right. And most overdoses are from heroin users who have a lifestyle of going out in the streets and doing drugs. I don't see somebody that is, <clears throat> is hooked on a, big, on a pharmaceutical drug to go out on the streets when they don't when they're not able to, of course, they can go to another doctor, and, and it's really easy, and that's, that's a separate issue in itself. But the overdoses of heroin use, I don't think, are really related to these people getting overprescribed these drugs, because there's a lot more heroin what? addicts out there than what? there are people that, that, uh, that die, than there are people that get prescribed and die have overdoses from prescription drugs. I got to push back a little bit there, Zach, but thank you so much for calling in. Um, you know, it, these things aren't, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, uh, you know, it kind of feeds into itself. Uh, people, once you get a taste for it, I mean, you know, thankfully, I, I you know, I had a little injury a, a few um, years back. I did take some OxyContin, and for me, it was like, I didn't really like it that much, uh, quite frankly, but some people just get so hooked on it, and then next thing you know, Know their lives have changed uh, forever, and they're out doing things that they might previously have never thought they would be doing, such as uh, you know soliciting uh, heroin on the streets or wherever it might be. Um, it really is an issue that is affecting a lot of people, and it's confusing to a lot of people because we're led to believe. That, that the doctors that we go to uh, have our own best interest in mind. But what happens now with the huge business that our um, medical companies have become, you wonder if, if they're telling you the truth or if they're just, you know, more concerned about pushing product like a drug dealer than they are about uh, the people's individual health. Uh, some doctors exceeded the limit by a lot. This is going back to that WebMD story. Nearly one quarter gave out a month-long dosage, despite the fact that research has shown that a month's use of prescription narcotic painkillers can cause brain changes. That's according to the National Safety Council. And once those brain changes happen, you know, they look at, they look at uh, the incarceration rates. They're looking at time, but their brains have now changed to a point where they say, who cares? Just give me the stuff that I need.
Uh, this is Fox News Talk. I am Ben Kissel. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're talking about Donald Trump and he uh, and he talking about opioids, the epidemic that is sweeping the nation. Uh, I want to point out over the past few decades, 11 billion dollars by pharmaceutical industries have been generated from opioid sales alone. 11 billion bucks. This is big money stuff. Uh, let's go to Mickey in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for calling in, Mickey. What's going on? What are your thoughts on this? Um, you know, I am a recovering addict myself, okay. and I I am on prescription pain pills because I'm in chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And, and here in Richmond, I mean, it's it, you know, you get a prescription. It's not like you can go back and get a prescription the next day. I mean, there these this state is well regulated, mm-hmm. and I mean, to my thoughts is it comes back to and self-responsibility take it as prescribed right you don't get hooked if you take it as prescribed now mickey may i ask uh how many pills do you get when you go to the doctor and do you think that if you did not have these pills uh, you would you would would you go back and and do the the drug of choice that you had in the past or are you finding yourself to be addicted to these pain kills uh, pain pills right here apologies no, I get I get ninety a month. I take three a day. I take one in the morning, one at lunch, and one in the evening, as prescribed. Right. I mean, and, but again, if that if and, let's say you can no longer afford uh, these prescription drugs, what what would you do then? Um, I'd probably just live in pain. No, I would. I've been sober for ten, uh, eleven years, coming on eleven years, and no, I would never revert back to where you know alcohol was. I'm more of a jug of choice, but oh, yeah. you know, I would never, I would never go back to uh, using drugs, illegal so, drugs. So, what are your thoughts then? You know, uh, interesting perspective. Being someone who takes uh, a lot of pain medication, what are your thoughts on Donald Trump's sort of tough on crime? We're going to win this war. Uh, very little concern for um, actual treatment. Um, I also see a, a, a specialist once a week for my drug addiction. I've been doing that for the last 10 years myself. And, I mean, it just comes back that you, you hear this, you can't do it for yourself. Right. I mean, you can't do it for somebody else. you got to do it for yourself. That, yeah. That's a load. I mean, everybody has their different reasons for getting sober. But it comes back to self-responsibility. Why is the federal government going to come in and butt their nose into my business? Well, I completely My agree. business. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I'm in chronic pain, and it's making the doctors are making it harder and harder for me to get my prescriptions because other people are being foolish with their own actions. Deal with the consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like we lost you there, Mickey, but thank you so much for calling in. Uh, and that is a great uh, perspective on this. And that's why it is such a difficult issue, because we do want to have uh, patient-centered health care. And no one wants uh, patients to be going to their doctor and the doctor being so concerned about over-prescribing that they under-prescribe and then that person has to live in chronic pain. Uh, so that is why 
this is a difficult subject. Absolutely. U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price said the administration was still working to devise a comprehensive strategy to be, to be presented to Trump in the near future. A commission created by Trump to study opioid abuse urged him last week to declare a national emergency once again to address what is called now an opioid crisis. According to the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention's opioids were involved in more than 33,000 deaths in 2015. In 2016, uh, they estimated around 52,000. So it is ascending. It is on the ascent. There is no denying uh, that it is a massive, massive issue. Let's go to John in Baltimore. Thanks for calling in, John. How you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. So what do you think about the crisis? What do you think about Trump's uh, handling of it? And uh, yeah, just your thoughts in general. Honestly, I have uh, only I've recently just tuned in, so I haven't been listening to the whole thing as far as Trump's um, handling of it. I've well, let me play this clip for you then, and you can. This is a, this is Trump. It's about forty-five seconds long. I want to get your response. Meanwhile, federal drug prosecutions have gone down in recent years. We're going to be bringing them up and bringing them up rapidly. At the end of 2016, there were 23 percent fewer than in 2011. So they looked at this scourge and they let it go by, and we're not letting it go by. The average sentence length for a convicted federal drug offender decreased 20% from 2009 to 2016. During my campaign, I promised to fight this battle because as President of the United States, my greatest responsibility is to protect the American people and to ensure their safety, especially in some parts of our country. It is horrible. All right, John. So there you go. He's kind of coming at it like a war on drugs approach, talking about how we are not sentencing these individuals who are addicted to prescription drugs or opioids harshly enough. What do you think? Uh, pretty much like anything else with Trump, I have mixed feelings. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, to a certain extent, I think that, yes, yeah, something needs to be done, um, especially on criminal activity. And, you know, but as far as buying drugs and this and that, uh, you know, not so much. I think more so they need to do a better approach of um, handling the who's getting prescribed mm -hmm. the opioids and for why. Right. And on top of that, increasing the education. And that's really why yeah. I'm calling is, from my personal experience, um, about five, year, five years ago, I was hit by a car. Mm. Shattered everything on my left side. Mm. I was on a really high dosage of opioids amongst a bunch of other stuff. And uh, after a period of time, I was ready to go back to work, went to the doctor, said, I want to get off of this. I need something stronger than ibuprofen, but nothing nowhere near as strong as this. Right. He wrote me a prescription for tramadol. The one thing he didn't do is tell me that I needed a wean off. And none of the doctors ever told me about the effects, hmm. long-term or short-term effects of the taking the oxycodone or any, you know, or what I could expect when I come off of it. So hmm. knowing what I did already, knowing when I stopped taking it, I was probably going to go through some kind of withdrawals. Right. On top of the worst, feeling like the worst flu I've ever had in my entire life, which lasted about four days, I had excruciating pain on that the side where I got hit. Hmm. Um, and then after about the fourth day, um, the pain, like a flick of a switch, flipped from my left side to the right side. And for about a half hour, I was in tears because the pain was so bad. Mm. And then it dawned on me that I never had anything on the right side. There was no pain, no nothing on that side. So it was m really my brain tricking me um, into thinking 
this pain so bad, you need this. And that, this isn't working, so let's try this side. Mm. Um, and so I think that a lot of people, and you, I've talked to people that are in chronic pain for years and years and years, and they're on yeah. they try to get off. And I think what they don't realize is that a lot of that pain is in their head. It's literally, I mean, it's their brain tricking them because their brain's addicted to the opioids. That that pain, or at least a lot of that pain, is not real. Hmm. Wow, John, thank you so much for sharing your story. That is that's powerful. And I want to ask now: Did you were you able to stand up and and fight uh, against this? Because that is really tough to do. Or did you end up going back and and getting on some more uh, prescription drugs so you didn't have to go through that living nightmare of withdrawal? No, actually, for the first uh, four days, I, I I really sat on the sofa because I was in so much pain. Yeah. I couldn't do anything. And I literally sat with the two bottles in front of me of the Dilaudid and the Oxycodone mm-hmm. and thinking, all I got to do is take one and this all goes away. Wow. But then instantly when I knew, when the pain switched to the other side, I, it, I knew that that was just my brain working against me. Wow. And then I knew it was nothing but the drugs and that it was a piece of cake at that point. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, John. And uh, that reminds me, um, I'm not a religious man, but uh, I, I grew up very religious. And that reminds me of when Jesus was tempted uh, by the devil in the desert. And, and you said no to it. And that's powerful stuff. Congratulations. I don't know if I would be strong enough to do that. Let's go to Graham in Calgary, uh, Canada. Graham, what's up? Hello. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, um, I just, I guess kind of, uh, it's related to your last speaker, I guess. My wife passed away about 19 years ago. Mm, I'm so sorry uh, to hear that. Yeah, she was uh, addicted to, to the pain meds as well. Uh, unlike the last gentleman, uh, it was a really complicated issue because she used to get ovarian cysts and different cysts and, and tumors in her uh, reproductive area, mm-hmm. uh, even you know, even after having a full hysterectomy, and what happened was is that you know we knew she was addicted, and it was hard to get her off the pain meds. But you know, sometimes some years she'd have three, four surgeries a year to remove the cysts uh, and everything, mm. and, and these were very, very painful for her. You know, so in that it became a really complicated issue where we knew she was addicted but how do you how do you how do you wean yourself off of it at right. that point if you're constantly having new problems yeah and was it you know when you were getting them from the doctor did that play into it where you were like well it can't be that bad i'm getting it from uh, a medical uh, official yeah and and it was it was bad with that as well because you know, the doctors didn't want to give her that much medication, but, you know, there's ways around it. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to one doctor, if he doesn't give you a prescription, you go to another doctor. Yeah. And and you get the prescriptions. And as much as, you know, uh, in one hand, I know she was having a problem and I didn't want her to get them. I also knew that she needed them. She was in a lot of pain. Right. And you know, I, I would doubt it. We'd have our fights where, you know, I'm trying to convince her she doesn't need to take them. And then, you know, within a few weeks, she'd be in the hospital and they'd be pulling more cysts out of us. Oh, my so, goodness. Then, then I'm feeling, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. joking for trying to get her, you know, getting upset with her for taking the medication. Right. So it was, it was really a bad 
you know, it, well, it, it built on itself. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing your story. I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, I know it never gets easier, uh, even 19 years later. Uh, thank you so much. And that is, again, another great reminder of the complexity of this issue. The commission cited government data showing that since 1999, U.S. opioid overdoses have quadrupled, uh, adding that nearly two-thirds of U.S. drug overdoses were linked to opioids such as heroin and the powerful painkillers Percocet, OxyContin, and Fentanyl. Uh, so that's uh, powerful stuff. Thank you for calling in. Let's go to Mark in Savannah, Georgia. Mark, what's going on, dude? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Good, good. I'll give you a brief uh, rundown in my situation. Okay. Uh, I've got injured at work. I worked actually for a branch of the government. Uh, I ended up getting a disease. Uh, it's um, CRP or RSD is the older term for it. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it refires the nerve back to the brain like you're still being injured constantly or your pain mm. is constantly there almost like a phantom pain but 10 times that okay and it can spread so when they initially did mine i went through all the blocks and everything they could do before i went on opioids and i think that needs to be another thing that i think doctors should do before yeah. Last resort type thing is the opioids. Um, right. My thing is, is how do they plan on actually after? I actually have a, a hearing coming up on the 14th from the government uh, because I got the amount of opioids I'm on are, are through the roof, mm -hmm. um, literally. The cost, yeah. Well, I, I'm on workers' comp still. Okay. I've been on for seven years. And of course, the comp is the the cost is so high. I can't even, you know, settle with them. Right. Um, yes, the cost is extremely high. But you know, I take an average. I get a hundred and wow, two hundred and ninety pills. Wow. Jeez. A month. Yes. Goodness gracious. On top of other things. Um, so right. Yeah, and, and I've been doing this for seven years. Right. Did you want to get Mark? Do, Mark, do you want to get off of them? Would you be happier if the government helped you get off of them? I would be willing if they if they had a plan to yeah. put me in a treatment facility or something like that where I could. Act, yes, I would love to. Right. Head that route, Mark. Thank and you. I, I've done a lot of studies and reading and felt and found that there's other things that can help with my disease besides opioids. Right. And, you know, I would like to go that route, but I to love actually it. cut somebody off that's been on seven years, oh, it that's would drive easy. to the corner buying heroin with the next guy. I mean, it Mark, would thank an you. epidemic. Oh, and the epidemic is happening right now. That's exactly what's happening. Mark, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your story. Uh, we got to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll keep this conversation going. This is Fox News Talk. I'm Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. We're talking about Donald Trump, the Trump administration. Uh, he has promised to combat um, opioid addiction, which is devastating so many, uh, so many communities around this country. Uh, they say 52,000 people approximately passed away uh, the previous year uh, because of opioids and, um, and problems associated with them. So let's keep this conversation going. Let's go to Denver. I'm going to be in Denver this weekend. I can't wait. I always love to visit Denver. And let's talk to Sal. Sal, thanks for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts on this well um i worked as a uh, a custodial manager in a movie theater running up and down the theater stairs all day uh -huh. that's really hard work yeah so what would happen is when i was done with work my feet would just like curl up like 
you know, bird's claws. And mm-hmm. So I went to my doctor and I, I started with uh, Darvocet. Thank God they don't they don't make that anymore. And then it started with thirty of those a month, and then mm. got cyclobenzaprine like thirty of those a month, and then it got to a point where I was getting a hundred of each one of those a month because my doctor was just like, "Let's not solve the problem. Let's just keep dumping more pills down your throat." Right. So what happened is as I ran out of pills. And I realized after a day or two that they were causing me more pain, intestinal discomfort, and making things worse. But Hmm. I had to go cold turkey, which wasn't so bad, because I realized that I was just damaging myself from all of these pills. I got a different doctor, started physical therapy. Uh, you know, for uh, you know, for the condition I had, and I realized that was the issue, right? And you not know, the pills, and not the you yeah. know, narcotics. Sal, real quick, or just real quick, I, as I mentioned earlier, we have about t- uh, twenty seconds here. But uh, did you expect to get addicted to these sorts of things, or you know? Oh my gosh, no! Right. I was just trying to take care of my health, and I thought my doctors. Well, why would they give me more right. and more and more if they didn't think it was going to help me? Interesting. Thank you so much for calling in and sharing that story, Sal. Really appreciate it. And that's, again, uh, why this issue is so vital and so important that we treat this. Uh, these are people. We are friends. All of our, We are friends with people uh, who are going through this uh, crisis right now. And we need to be humane and we need to recognize what's happening. And quite frankly, we need to hold these doctors and pharmaceutical companies accountable. All right. This is Ben Kissel. We'll be right back. I just want to wrap it up here again with Donald Trump uh, and him discussing opioids. Uh, one of the positive things, and I will give credit where credit is due, is he is discussing opioids, and that's important. And he was the only candidate to really get involved uh, with the opioid crisis when running. However, his approach is something I'm having a bit more of an issue with, coming at it more from a criminal justice standpoint, uh, the notion of incarcerating individuals who get addicted to OxyContin, uh, Percocet, uh, things of that nature because of over. For prescriptions as the pharmaceutical industries make billions and billions and billions of dollars hawking drugs. U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price said the administration was still working to, defy, to devise a comprehensive strategy that has yet to be presented uh, to Trump, but it will be presented in the near future. I want to play this sound uh, from, uh, from Donald Trump, and um, this is just what he thinks about the issue. The best way to prevent drug addiction and overdoses to prevent people from abusing drugs in the first place. If they don't start, they won't have a problem. If they do start, it's awfully tough to get off. So we can keep them from going on and maybe by talking to youth and telling them no good, really bad for you in every way. But if they don't start, it will never be a problem. Uh, so, I mean, I just think it, it shows a complete lack of understanding of why the opioid epidemic has spread uh, to the horrible uh, numbers that it has spread to today. It's not about people who are actively pursuing drugs uh, so that they can get high. These are workers. These are Americans who had jobs, who often have jobs, and who go to a doctor because they're injured at work. They're looking for pain relief. Their doctor gets a kickback uh, from the pharmacist. 
pharmaceutical companies as they overprescribe things like OxyContin. Next thing you know, those individuals uh, can no longer uh, afford to pay for those drugs, and they may go on uh, and do much worse, more illegal drugs. This is interesting. It's a bit of an old statistic from 2013, but I think it's still relevant. The total number of opioid pain relievers prescribed in the United We talk about drug dealers if it's as if it's some dude uh, you meet in an alley, uh, you know, that has, uh, you know, stereotypical clothes on. Uh, and I'm sure people have an image of a drug dealer in their minds. Well, get rid of it. it it's a person in a white overcoat with a pen uh, protector in his or her front pocket and is a person with a stethoscope around their neck. Those are the drug dealers right now in this country that are killing 52,000 people a year, getting them addicted uh, to prescription drugs. Of course, it is very interesting, uh, and there's a lot of ins and outs here. We don't want to under-medicate people who are in an immense amount of pain, but at the same time, it seems to me as if we are over-medicating more than we are under-medicating. We have to have a reasonable health care. Um, we have to have a reasonable health care plan between doctor and patient. Pain relievers prescribed in the United States skyrocketed in the past 25 years. The number of prescriptions for opioids like hydrocodone and oxycodone products have escalated from around 76 million in 1991 to 207 million in 2013, with the United States their biggest consumer globally, accounting for almost 100% of the world. Uh, of the world total for hydrocodone, that's Vicodin, and 81% of oxycodone, mm, such as Percocet. Uh, This stuff is not happening on accident. There is big, big money here. And you look at that, 76 million people prescribed oxy um, in in 1991. Uh, Were we getting injured that much less in 1991? My overall understanding of workplace safety is that it's greatly improved. Uh, My understanding is that there are more uh, regulations and more safety nets put in place with with technology uh, when it comes to protecting workers than ever before. So what happened from 1991 to 2013 that we felt as a nation that we need to start over-prescribing to the degree of quadrupling, nearly nearly quadrupling the amount of people who are prescribed OxyContin and hydrocodone? Look no further than the money that these huge pharmaceutical companies are making and both parties are complicit in this there is no denying they're lobbying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year uh, given to politicians on a local and national level the billions of dollars uh, a, a year made by pharmaceutical industries um, by the pharmaceutical industry that that Obama gave them and now what's happening with Trump care I mean these bills are literally written by these institutions by these uh, by these pharmaceutical companies and so this is not an accident this is very serious and that's why I think Donald Trump's approach to it is missing the major mark um, it's not about incarcerating more people uh, than we we already have incarcerated, you know, the stats are staggering when it comes to incarceration. Uh, you know, of course, 5% of the world's population, 25% of the individuals incarcerated around the world uh, are right here in these beautiful free United States. The greater, availability, the greater availability of opioids and other prescribed drugs have been accompanied by alarming increases in the negative consequences related to their abuse. For example, the number estimated, the estimated number of emergency department visits involving non-medical use of opioid um, 
has increased uh, from 144,000, 144,000 in 2004 to 200 to 305,000. That was in 2008. These numbers are continuing, continuing uh, to go up. In 2010, uh, there were 16,000 deaths, and now again we're looking at 52,000 deaths. Uh, in 2016, uh, roughly 33,000 deaths. In 2015, this epidemic is real, and incarceration is not the answer. It's just simply. We can't afford it. it you, and I, you, know, you can make a strong fiscal conservative argument that the more people we got locked up for this, the more the, you, you ruin the family structure. You take the, the mom or the dad out of the family. What are those kids going to do? Now they have a broken home. Now they have a broken home to come home to. So naturally, they're going to have a cycle of, of, of drug abuse or violence unless of, uh, you know, or at least have a, uh, ha- a higher chance of having a lifestyle like that. We got to keep the family unit intact. We got to keep these people out of prison. We have to treat them, uh, you know. We have to treat their uh, illness for what it is. I mean, this stuff uh, is is very real. And uh, as all the callers talked about when they called in the last hour, which was just powerful stuff, amazing phone calls. Thanks uh, to everyone who called. Uh, This issue is complex, and the people who are finding themselves addicted to these drugs. They're just as surprised as anybody else that they got hooked on the stuff. That's how powerful these things are. And that's what they're designed to do. I mean, just look at that again. 76 million in 91 uh, prescribed oxy, 207 million in 2013. Look at the billions of bucks that are made on, uh, made by the pharmaceutical industry. Well, you know what's going on. I don't got to tell you. This is Fox News Talk. We're going to switch gears here coming up. I am Ben Kissel. We will be right back. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay, leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. 